welcome to Cancer Talk, the podcast that explores the potential of integrative medicine in cancer care. Integrative medicine is an inclusive approach that combines the full resources of conventional medicine with a broad range of lifestyle and complementary approaches to address the multiple needs of those with cancer in body, in mind and in spirit. Each episode of Cancer Talk, oncologist Dr. Penny Kekayoglu and I, Robin Daly of Yes to Life, will be building bridges between conventional medicine and a host of other therapies and practices with the aim of improving the care of people with cancer in the UK. Hello, I'm Penny. I'm a clinical oncologist in the National Health Service and clinical director, and I treat patients with cancer using different modalities, including chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and holistic approaches. I welcome you all to Cancer Talk, and um, I'm looking forward to joining more specialists to talk about integrative medicine. Hello, I'm Robin Daly, founder and chairman of Yes to Life, the UK charity helping people with cancer to learn about and use integrative medicine. Each episode of Cancer Talk, Robin and I will be jointly hosting guest specialists from the world of integrative medicine with the aim of exploring the potential of improving the health of patients through their particular skills and experiences. Great to see you again. Hi Robin, lovely to be here. We've got a wonderful guest today. We have. The month has flown by. It's great to be back with, as you say, another guest for a new edition of Cancer Talk. Uh, This month, we're diving into the realms of psychological and emotional, speaking to the CEO of the UK and International Coaching Association, Isabella Natrins. Welcome, Isabella. Hello. Hi, both. Lovely. So um, I thought I'd just get straight in with your strap line for your organisation, which says changing the future by changing the way we think about our whole health and ask you to unpack that a little bit. Oh, my goodness. Where will I start? Um, Changing the future. We very much see at the UK and International Health Coaching Association that um, the future of health is about empowering people. Um, to participate in making their own decisions and um, participate from the get-go to the very end um, of the whole life, whole health spectrum. Um, So we see health as um, multidimensional. So we very much talk about the um, uh, psychosocial, emotional, physical, um, environmental, of spiritual aspects of health, that, 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 those elements that make an individual whole, that, that make us human, really, that make us um, a, an individual in our lived experience, in our context. Um, and we see health really as um, a dimension, a continuum uh, from, um, it's not an endpoint, it's a journey. It's a journey, a 24-7 journey throughout a lifetime. It's dynamic, it's not fixed. Um, It's individual. And so we need to change the way we think about our health as some kind of fixed destination where if we tick these five things, then we're healthy. If we can't only tick four, then we're not healthy. 
Um, and we need to see them from each individual's um, perspective throughout a whole lifetime, throughout their whole lived experience and that, that whole health piece. Sounds really. marvellous. You've got a job on there, eh? We have, yeah. <laughs> well, we've put our money where our mouth is, uh, Robin, in the uh, professional standards for um, education and training for health coaches um, embody those principles. So our pillars um, uh, where we approve um, our training schools, so we approve tra education and training providers um, against a, a set of very robust standards. Um, and, and in terms of the health coaching piece, it's all about that whole health continuum. It's all about it's all about all of those aspects of um, of an individual's experience as they move through their lifetime um, and their health. Excellent. Yeah, Isabella would love to hear about your your career and how you came to be the CEO of the UK International Health Coaches Association. And I know, knowing you, that you've done so many things in your life that I want people to to hear. Well. Um, I guess the, the short answer to the question, Penny, is I'm not really sure how I got myself here, but I am here and I'm very pleased to be here. Um, I started off life um, as a nurse back in the day and then I was a mature student. So I went to university to study psychology at Warwick and following that I went back into the health service to do research because I discovered I was quite good at research so I went to do um, health services research and I finished up at the medical school in Birmingham um, looking at uh, child health as a health research psychologist and then was seduced into the health service at the directorate level where um, I worked on training programmes for clinicians in management development. And it was at the time when um, management development and management was coming very much in a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how many years. <laughs> um, uh, but when managers were anything above a ward sister or even a staff nurse actually at that time was seen to be a manager course no one had got any training um, um, or development in that area so uh, I was part of a very big program to look at to work with clinical practitioners to look at how uh, you know we might tackle that and that eventually led to um, projects that were around information management uh, when at the time when uh, the electronic patient record was first mooted or had been mooted and uh, we needed information managers that were more than techies and more than systems people. We needed people who could join those two ends together. So for my sins, I, I was recruited into that programme. And um, after a little while, um, decided that I would, um, you know, look at another context really. And I became a management consultant within the, within the housing sector for social housing. And it was at a time when uh, local authorities were divesting their council housing stock and um, uh, housing associations were jumping up, up around the place. So my job was to work with the boards of these associations um, to help them understand their responsibilities as a, as a housing association rather than a local authority. Um, 
And over the years, my health fell over um, and I started to develop arthritis and it got worse and worse. So the wheels were all falling off all over the place. And uh, I decided that I really needed to take a break. And I went to um, my family, um, as Penny knows, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're European and they're from South Europe. Um, very huge on food um, and uh, I come from a very huge family of foodies and I don't mean that in the kind of middle class sense of the word but very much about real food about taste flavor community you know the meaning of the food on the table and I found myself at the Ballymaloo cookery school in Ireland training to be a chef <laughs> and why do you think why on earth would this ex-health researcher ex program manager for the NHS finish up there ex-management consult I just wanted to do it I never thought I'd be a chef uh, but I, I I wanted to experience it and Ballymaloo for those who haven't come across it is a, a it's a organic um, farm it's a 200 acres uh, it has an acre of glass houses and it's all about real food. It's about the provenance of food and, and not again in a middle class foodie way, but the actual, you know, the, it's going back to the, the true artisanal production of, of, of food and how, you know, our ancestors would have expected and experienced it all the time. And um, it opened my eyes. It brought back those taste memories of home. Uh, from my mum's kitchen table and I came back away from it was a three-month immersion and I came back with um, I wanted to do the same thing so I then decided I was going to have a cookery school too and we were moving home at the time and there was an opportunity uh, as part of the, the extension and the renovation to this house that we'd bought um, to create a four-station cookery school, which I did. And my thought was, well, I don't want to teach dinner party menus. I want people to understand where to buy real food and what to do with it when they've got it home. So I wanted them to understand where to buy a real chicken, not one from the supermarket that comes wrapped in plastic and, you know, cost the earth. I wanted them to understand the difference between um, a supermarket chicken and one that was uh, raised traditionally. And yes, they're a little bit more expensive, but when you look at the meat to bone ratio, you realize that it, there's no comparison. The flavor, nutritionally, we've got more evidence coming now all the time about the differences in nutritional value of food that's raised without you know, all the uh, help um, the, the modern food production is given it. Um, and I wanted to help people understand how to put a menu together. Uh, let's talk about food groups rather than, um, you know, a dinner party menu. Let's talk about how we um, uh, eat in community. So the guys would come along, we'd cook for the day. They would bring their partners or a friend to dinner. We'd all sit down and talk about what the food meant. Um, at that time, I had no nutrition training, but I did, you know, I did have an education in it. So we talked about, you know, the, 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 the different nutrients on the plate, how those contributed to health. 
and that uh, really led me into this field from you know from where I'd been because increasingly people were saying well could you help me with this or I have a friend with an issue you know a health issue or I have myself a digestive issue and of course I wasn't qualified to give any of that advice but I thought well I actually I want to help people um, so I did a year of biomedicine uh, to get my head back into the game so to speak and uh, then at the end of which time I um, decided I didn't really want to pursue nutritional therapy I discovered health coaching and so I set about my training in health coaching and established a practice a, a private practice of my own and put my hand up for an NHS project at the beginning of um just before COVID, I think it was the yeah the, the September before, um, the NA, uh, the UK Health Coaches Association at the time they weren't international, uh, were asking for people with NHS experience to participate in a project to get health coaching out into general practice, and I um, I put my hand up, and before long. Uh, there I was as director of um, professional standards and development because I'd got the academic background. And um, then when uh, Ruth Edwards, my predecessor, stepped down, they asked me to step up to be CEO. And this is why I'm here talking to you about this wow. and about Root. What a journey. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So really interesting. So you've got you've had a real uh, passion for well-being. Basically, I can see it's been growing all the way through that journey. Oh my and, goodness! Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it places you very well for coaching, of course. Uh, it seems it's a kind of very interesting um, in-between kind of profession. It seems to me, coaching. It's sort of a place somewhere where it's a it's an excellent signposting place where people can go and they can get some coaching directly, which may help them directly with issues they've got, but they're quite likely to be able to be helped to go to see somebody else for another issue, which seems to me that's really missing at the moment. And it could be an enormously important function yeah. uh, if it got, you know, if it infiltrated the healthcare system a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you're right. It is, it's, it, I think we we need to be clear about what health coaching is or isn't, and you know, um, it, it's it, it's not an expert hat for health care or health care interventions, and um, we we like to talk about it as the three legged stool, if you will, where the seat of the stool is the health transformation that we're looking to support a, a patient or a client, depending on your your context. Um, to achieve and the central leg if you will is the patient or client themselves you know coaching sees very much that it, it's client-led it's patient-led they're in control it's what they want for their health and the two other legs are really there to support the patient to sit on the stool uh, for themselves and the one is um, the expert the healthcare practitioner the doctor uh, the pharmacist, the uh, nurse, the physiotherapist, the nutritionist, who says, well, this is what you can do. These are the kinds of recommendations I would make. This is the kind of prescription I would 
um, uh, you know, right for you in terms of a lifestyle medicine approach, perhaps. This is what you can do, in my expert opinion, to improve your health um, or address your health issues. The other leg of the stool is the health coach. And this is the expert in behavioral science, in behavior change, in helping the client or the patient understand how they can make those changes and very importantly, how they can make them sustainable. Um, because it's all very well to, you know, go on some kind of dietary regime where you lose weight in, and six weeks later, you know, you're chuffed because you've got, you know, you've lost a stone or, you know, several pounds. And then before you know it, it's all back on again, because you haven't approached it in a way that makes it sustainable, that helps you get the, the skills, the, the confidence, the understanding, the knowledge. Um, to navigate the challenges where, you know, um, you may self-sabotage or, you know, you may just not know how to how to implement the next step. So I think that three-legged stool is a very powerful, um, you know, uh, way of seeing how health coaching fits into the general health landscape. It's not there. Health coaches are not there to be directive. They're there to support they're there to support the patient or client in making decisions about which parts of the, the recommendations and their, their health behaviours they'd like to address. And importantly, they're there for the practitioner, for the, for the clinician, to support the clinician in making sure that their advice and recommendations hit the ground and, um, you know, hit the deck with the patient and that we can the two of us with the patient support that um, transformation in health. Mm. This is such a clear visual model um, and you beautifully described, you know, the role of health coaching in current modern healthcare. But we know that healthcare needs to be integrated and we know that there are other, other people that are coming through the system, like we hear about social prescribing, Isabella, don't we, or healthcare navigators or peer supporters in the community. How does health coaching differ compared to those, compared to, I guess, professions? Yeah. And, and Penny, that, thank you. It's a great question because very often um, uh, I, we find, in my experience, that uh, doctor, primary health care doctors do find it confusing. They're not quite sure what the difference is between a social prescriber and a health coach. And it's quite simply this. Um, the health coach is the expert, if you will, in behaviour change. That's how they've been trained. They've been trained with uh, skills, tools, techniques, communication skills, especially um, and as a health coach um, yourself, Penny, you will understand the, um, the, the huge amount of expertise and the listening skills and the, the looking at the, the, the client or the patient's body language. More difficult over Zoom these days than it is face to face, but it's perfectly possible, um, you know, to pick up on those nuances, to really get beside, stand beside that patient or clients and help them make changes, help them explore challenges that, you know, that maybe historically they've shied away from or they've rejected or they've decided, well, I'm just useless. I can't make a change, I'm hopeless. 
Now the health coach's role is to unpack all of that and to ask those powerful questions that helps their client or their patient look at things in a different way. Sometimes very challenging questions, um, sometimes very obvious ones, and sometimes making um, a very significant change, sometimes making a very simple change like going out for a walk at lunchtime. And one of my, um, one of my most successful interventions with a client personally was just that to get her to step away from the desk. She lived right next door to a, a golf course and for her to go for a walk at lunchtime. I can't tell you how much it transformed everything she did. Uh, it's the long story and I'm happy to go into it if you want me to. It's that small thing you think, well, what difference can that make? It's huge. Now, with um, a social prescriber, their role is different. Their role is to understand the resources in the community that um, uh, a patient or a client um, that's referred to them can take advantage of. So there is um, some training, as I understand it, in motivational interviewing and to really, it's not just a, a you know, signposting that, oh, here are five services, which one would you like? So it is, it, it is opening that conversation, coaching style, asking, you know, the patient and, or client what they're interested in, what, you know, the kinds of, what, what are they interested in? Where would they like to start? What would they like to try? Um, but it is very much a social um, prescribing role. It's to help that person integrate into a community, whether it's a gardening um, community or a walking community, uh, park runs, all kinds of things, depending on which aspect of their health that patient wants to prioritise in terms of what's available out there. Now, a health coach can have that role too. Um, if you're working in private practice, you would expect a health coach to have some understanding about what's available for that client. Um, uh, within the NHS, they're defined roles, very specific roles, very specific role descriptions and competences that are um, expected of each of those roles. Um, in the wider kind of um, perspective, I suppose, that um, um, it's the, the health coach is really that hub. I see them as a, as a hub, the glue that holds a lot of different aspects of health together. Um, so, as I say, it, there is no competition there. This is not um, a, a discipline that is inventing itself. It's the discipline that was always missing for real behavioural change, real lifestyle, sustainable lifestyle change to, um, you know, to happen. And I'm just really excited that we have something uh, that will, that will most evidence-based and it's there. Mm. Very interesting. So, yeah, it's very much acknowledged that the the big obstacle with any kind of, uh, you know, this kind of social change is actually getting people to adopt it. You know, you can tell them what they should be doing and until you're blue in the face, but it doesn't make any difference. Even if they know it's going to kill them, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Um, it's a huge thing to do, isn't it? But yeah. um, just bringing it round to uh, cancer, particularly, um, cancer is often spoken about as a, a major teachable moment. And not to have someone available to take advantage of that moment 
in order to encourage lifestyle change is a tragedy, I think. I and, agree. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it definitely seems to me it should be the kind of support that's available really early on in uh, after a cancer diagnosis. Well, we um, uh, actually, that is a very timely comment, Robin, because I've come off a call this afternoon mm. with a colleague that I believe um, Penny knows who specialises in providing um, coaching support for cancer mm. patients. Um, I think you both know him. Um, and we're very excited to be talking with him about how we can support um, that the delivery of that service in, in the UK. Um, so I'm absolutely on the page. I'm really, really right. excited about how we can, we, we, you know, we at the Coaches Association, we stand on three pillars. Um, the first is professionalism, obviously, and that's, you know, we are the professional body for um, health coaches in the UK and um, internationally now that we've put our um, stake in the ground internationally. We've always approved international uh, courses that have met our standards and admitted graduates from those courses. So we're making that very um, a firm statement now. Um, but in terms of um, the professionalism, we're all about the standards, the development of robust standards, the development of standards for faculty who are, who are uh, delivering those courses that we approve. The um, three pillars of, um, of uh, education and training in terms of um, uh, health, health, um, health and wellness, uh, coaching, and then professional practice. Um, and uh, the whole thing that bundles around um, a, a professional body such as CPD, um, supervision, um, uh, career development, all of these things are either in progress or in the pipeline for UK IHCA. The second pillar then is community. And in a nascent profession, um, there's always, always a sense of, well, who else is out there? And very much when our coaches uh, leave their um, schools, um, training schools, training providers, um, it, they're on their own. And here they are in this new world of health coaching and where are their colleagues? You know, they've had the support of their peer group as they've gone through a cohort. Where else can they go? Well, we say, come to us because not only will we help you and support you in uh, developing yourself professionally, we um, will support you as a community, um, as a community of peers where you can network and interact and learn from our webinars, um, you know, benefit from all kinds of things that, you know, you would expect a professional association to support their members with. But the third and most important pillar really going forward for a new profession is enterprise. And we want to be enterprising in the association. So one of our biggest um, visions really is, is to see a health coach in everywhere to see a health coach in primary care, in secondary care, in every public and private um, practice, in education, in, in uh, the workplace, in communities. Um, and to do that, we need to um, stimulate the market. So we need to get out there and make a lot of noise about how useful we are 
to all those constituencies, to you know, to the, you know, to individuals, you know, of the general, uh, you know, as an individual in the general public, but to, but to all of those other contexts. So a big part of my job is to talk to those people that can help us be enterprising, to form collaborations with um, uh, with companies, with um, people who are in the same space as we are, that we need to work with them um, because. If it's if it is to be, it's up to us, isn't it? You know, it's up to me. That's my, that's my, um, you know, I stand by that. If it is to be, it's up to me. So I see it as my job to actually go out and you know say to people, come and talk to us because we have um, in excess of five hundred and fifty qualified health coaches that have invested in training and development of their own. And they're waiting to be used. We have upwards of 150 students at a time from um, who are registered students from the uh, schools that we've approved that go through, you know, like on a revolving door. We have an army of people that can make a difference to to um, you know to public health in the widest sense. Mm. Well, that's certainly, you know, if you look at the direction that government wants healthcare to go in you are the people to do the job it seems to me they're uh, desperate to get people to look after themselves basically and yeah, uh, yeah sounds like coaching will hit the spot well it will and, and i think also you know in that respect i think it's also important to understand the difference between coaching generally and health coaching because there are a lot of you know health coaching is not a regulated profession I'm not sure that it ever will be. That obviously depends very much on the, you know, government policy. Uh, but at the moment, there is nothing to stop anybody from just putting a slate up outside their door and saying, I'm a health coach, come to me. But um, the UK Health Coaches Association is, is self-regulating. So that's why we've created the standards. We've created the standards that stand muster internationally and exceed um, some of the health coaching standards internationally. We have a code of practice, which is stringent and, and, and very clearly says, this is what a health coach does, um, and this is what they don't do, unless they have an additional scope of practice. For example, they may also be a nurse or a physiotherapist or indeed a doctor, in which case, obviously, the scope of practice is much wider. But for those that come through um, the kind of traditional route of, um, of, of training as a, as a health coach, that it is a very specific scope of practice and we do not allow or encourage our coaches to um, work outside that scope of practice. They're all insured, that's a condition of membership. It's a condition of membership that they um, sign up to the scope of practice and embody it. It's a condition of membership that they fulfill their CPD requirement into the future there will be supervision i know it's not um, it's not mandatory i doubt it will be for for quite a while but but supervision again is a is a powerful vehicle and a tool for developing individuals professionalism safety um, and and you know everything else that you'd expect of a professional so those are the kinds of things that we you know, we really do stand for and promote within the association um, you know, so that people do take it seriously and, and, and so that we're, we're, we're able to demonstrate our worth 
and the fact that you know we are a professional body we have uh, we have some very talented health coaches very experienced very well educated you know we have we have oncologists we have surgeons we have anesthesiologists we have um, a whole uh, gps you know um, nutritionists physiotherapists you know all secondary practitioners that have themselves done the full training um, of health coaching uh, not just um, embrace some of the technical skills within their practice mm. so i think it's uh, it will change the face of um and the delivery of healthcare, and that's exactly what we need we have the model don't you think upside down in that um we go in with all the big guns before we've laid the basics so you know when we know that such a huge percentage of um, chronic conditions are lifestyle driven surely it's the sensible thing to help people make changes educate them um, help them understand more about how their body works how what how the small things that they do every day matter hugely in terms of the long-term uh, you know effects on their health and that is not a role for i we don't believe for um you know expert health practitioners who have gone undergone huge training to be specialists and experts in their fields uh, you know it's it's a it's a role for health coaches to work collaboratively within that practice you know to, to to work with each other with doctors with nurses with that multidisciplinary team whether that be in private medicine or in in, in the nhs it is a team approach and and quite rightly so i think to your point, Isabella, about lifestyle risk factors, we saw a recent paper recently saying that 40% of cancers diagnosed daily are down to lifestyle factors. And, and as an oncologist and health coach, I see so many opportunities mm. for lifestyle and behavior change in a cancer patient journey, but also missed opportunities. So we know patients are waiting, wait, are waiting to have surgery or are waiting for to have chemotherapy. And after they finish treatment, they they are discharged in, in, in self-management programs, but those programs, they don't incorporate coaching. Yeah. So something needs to be done more there. What's your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. And I think this is, you know, that every, we work a lot. Um, we have worked with the NHS um, E um, in, in supporting them in the development of the uh, framework for health coaches in, in the NHS. And we're very proud to have been part of that conversation and, and, and fully, fully support what they do. And, and I think they've done a fantastic job in creating a framework of competencies for health and well-being coaches, um, as they're called in, in the NHS. We also know that the um, NHS is a, um, a huge, huge monolith and it takes a long time to get um, you know, good practice established. Um, I, I believe that the uh, coaching um, competence framework um, is uh, being, it was to be launched this month, but I don't know with, with the recent events, um, it has been postponed. So we're, we're waiting to hear when it will be launched, uh, but we will be there right beside the NHS and encouraging them in every way that we can, you know, that we can um, with, this with the filling the gaps for the patients. I mean, it's an ideal opportunity. 
Um, there, are, there are an increasing number of health and wellbeing coaches um, uh, employed in the NHS, but not all of them are, um, have had their education at the level of um, our health coaches, our approved health coaches. Um, so many are new, um, many are just coming into this field, you know, at, at the beginning. And of course, uh, the whole system is overworked. So we just say, listen, we have, we have going on 700 people expertly trained, use us, you know, use us to fill those gaps, talk to us about how we can support the NHS in a way that isn't necessarily um, a, a post under the um, additional role scheme, but as adjunct um, facility to help those patients um, not, you know, maintain the health that they've got or improve it in those waiting times. And I, I agree with you, Penny, it's a, it's a bit of a tragedy to know that, you know, from diagnosis to treatment, such a lot could be done to stabilize that person's health even and, and i would dare to suggest for many improve it so that when they do go into treatment they're in a much better position to you know respond to that mm, yeah absolutely can i just compare two things i mean you've talked about two different scenarios one is of uh clinicians or experts in some discipline uh training and coaching as well and the other one is of sort of putting in a coach to work alongside is that obviously they're different but is there a preferred situation does one work better than the other no i think they they well no i think the short answer to i don't know what you think penny but i i don't think there, there's a preferred situation i think they're congruent they work together the synergistic um you know if you're a clinician um it's a, it's a long time it's expensive training and um you know the the, the People are overwhelmed already. We know that everyone working within the NHS is whatever the discipline is, is very much overwhelmed. Now, if that um, clinician has coaching skills, it helps them open the conversation with a patient. It helps them introduce that patient to the concept of self-efficacy and empowerment. It helps them um, understand how, from a patient's perspective, going away with um, a list of things to do is not perhaps the best approach. Um, from the patient's perspective, it gives them confidence that, oh, hang on a minute, you know, my GP is talking to me about this person called a health coach. Uh, why would I go there? We know that some patients very often don't want to go and see a health coach. They don't understand who they are. You know, are they a doctor? Well, I don't want, I want to see the doctor. If the if the doctor or the clinician has some of those coaching skills, they A, can under, have a better conversation with the patient, B, they can open the door to the patient's understanding of what health coaching is and how it might help them seriously make big differences to their health outcomes. And it, it provides the bridge so that within a practice or a PCN, you may have one to five or six, depending on the size of health coaches employed, um, the doctor then can then make a referral to the health coaches, the patient, and the doctor understands what the health coach does because they've got some of the skills and they have an understanding of that discipline and the power of it. 
the patient feels more com confident and can trust that the doctor has explained what this health co coach can potentially do and uh, why they're being asked to go and see and have the conversation. And then, uh, so that's that kind of bridge and the introduction from, uh, from a GP and from a practitioner is, is, is hugely valuable. Um, so when the health coach comes into the conversation, he or she has the support of um, the, 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 the clinician and the general practice as a whole. I think it's a wonderful relationship and they need to be synergistic. Uh, they're different skills, you know, no, no health coach wants to train as a quasi-nutritionist or, or GP or health practitioner. They have a very specific, a very valuable um, evidence-based um, set of skills based on behavioural science, motivation, communication skills, all these things that make that really important uh, rapport between the coach and the patient in order to help the patient move on. I agree with you, Isabella, on that. It's a synergistic effect. And as a doctor with, with coaching skills and having had formal training, I would say actually that having those skills helps you as a doctor or as a nurse or as a clinician. It helps with your resilience as well. And we know how overwhelming is, is is the workload at the moment and how the system is overstretched and people are giving up and actually being able to have that self-awareness and be able to transmit that with the way you communicate with your patients you make your job more satisfactory as well you know you gain a lot more out of of the role that you have the specialist role yeah yeah i, I certainly know that has been the case from the um, doctors that are part of our association, you know, without to a person, they've said, this has changed the way I practice. This has changed. Um, and, and actually, you know, we were both at the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine um, a couple of weeks ago, um, talking to doctors about um, how health coaching can help them and how health coaches can help them. And even, um, from the floor there were comments about how it's transformed their practice how it's see things through a different lens and um and and you know it and it's very very positive feedback that we had yeah. we know that the british society of lifestyle medicine gets it they get health coaches i don't believe um in fact they are introducing a health coaching module into their lifestyle medicine diploma they're integrating it and we're very pleased to be supporting them to do that um, and they they realize the power of it that actually lifestyle medicine is a powerful approach but but the patient has to actually go and do it they have to make Absolutely. those changes yeah well it's interesting i mean you know we've quite often talked on this podcast about um the kind of power of the, say, the oncologist that we're talking about cancer to actually make a lifestyle suggestion, that, uh, particularly within this kind of teachable moment, that the oncologist suggested it, it carries a lot of weight. And it seems from what you're saying that almost, well, okay, an oncologist is going to be hard pressed, generally speaking, Penn is a big exception, but how many are going to do a full course of uh, coaching training? But how many could take a short course, which tells them what coaching is and how it could help? 
I mean, that, that would seem entirely helpful and relevant as part of their training. So as they, they could then uh, give some very supportive pointers to the patient as to what would help and where to go. Absolutely the case. And that's in an ideal situation, that's what would happen. And I think it is more and more. I mean, we we have opened some conversations with um, with the BSLM about how we can encourage um, in a very already uh, packed curriculum, um, an element of health coaching within the undergraduate medical curriculum, which would be wonderful. Um, we know that, uh, that they're more and more open to lifestyle medicine. I've had an approach through, uh, from a very prominent doctor, actually, um, in, the, in the lifestyle and undergraduate medical movement who wants to take a health coaching course herself and is saying, what are the implications? What do I need to do about this? So I think there will be doctors who will want to do the whole training. Right. And credit to them. What we're Absolutely. saying is that we, you don't need to, if you, if, unless you want to, if you want to, then my goodness, you know, please do, because it will transform your practice. It will transform the way you look at life, the way you talk to people, um, the way that you work with your staff, actually. Um, and, but, but you don't feel, don't feel you need to do the whole thing because yes, a short course on how to, uh, what it is, how to learn some of the skills, how to use some of those skills in, in practice, which is the, um, the demonstrations that, that Penny and I did. Uh, Penny um, and one of our coaches uh, from the association did some role play to demonstrate to doctors how you could open a coaching conversation from a different perspective. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to say anything about that because they loved it, didn't they? The, um... they, they did love it and, and they could relate very much to the typical consultation. Let's take a, a GP practice consultation setting, which has got a fixed time devoted. And what they were very surprised about is that by changing the dialogue a bit and using the coaching approach, it actually does not take more time. And I think that was the the key feedback for them and the key, I would say, um, great moment to realize that you only need to, to change the way you converse with people. It doesn't add to your workload and you can leave your patients happy, motivated and yourself more satisfied. I think that's the take home message. Yeah, it certainly was, wasn't it? They were very excited and uh, much more so than I thought they would be. And there were lots of questions and um, uh, very positive questions. Um, and people genuinely were, I think it opened their eyes, you know, really did. And I'm so glad we did take that approach of the, of the role play rather than just the descriptive approach, you know. Uh, because people really do get it then you know so while i love the the analogy of the three-legged stool and the hand in glove the, the the actually to witness a role play uh between um you know a real doctor and uh, uh you know a, a patient over and and it was a diabetes um, um diagnosis yeah. uh, early diabetes diagnosis and there were some questions about that you know or you know should we be saying this? Should we not be, you know, prescribing medication straight away? And there was a lot of conversation and debate on the floor or from the floor. Um, and people went away with a very different perspective. And we were very, very pleased, I think, you know, mm. to have made that impact. Excellent. Mm -hmm. 
Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, obviously, in, in many other sort of uh, allied disciplines who are, who are helping cancer patients in some way, they, the whole journey for cancer patients is so specific that uh, there's additional training for people to do that role. Um, is that the case with coaching? Um, uh, well, from my, I'm sure Penny would 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 want to um, comment on that. From our perspective, my perspective, that's one of the subjects that we were talking this afternoon at the meeting. That the coaches are not. Um, there's no specific training within the coaching. Um, uh, curriculum on on specialties we hope there will be going forward because we do need go and i think the nhs i think i speak for the nhs where they see a need for specialist coaches in future um but i but the training that coaches get from their when they've come through an approved course is solid they would need some contextual training uh, to work with people with cancer as indeed they would with diabetes, you know, or, or any other uh, particular diagnosis. And that you, you can do it, but, you know, to be really, really useful, I think you would need that extra top-up, uh, which is what we were talking about this afternoon. And, and I'm very excited that we will be able to offer that for the coaches. So we're hoping to, to run a pilot and get it going uh, for cancer coaching. So yeah. I haven't been able to talk to Penny about it because we really haven't. Really exciting. I'm looking forward to listening to all of that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we do a, a little exercise, an imaginative exercise here? You can imagine yourself, you've got yourself a room full of oncologists who know nothing about coaching. What are you going to tell them about why they should be interested in coaching for their patients? Oh, wow. Uh I would start with the fact that when, as a patient, and I might use my own, I had a cancer scare just recently. And as a result of the cancer scare, I had a major lung operation. Um, It turned out not to be cancer, but nevertheless, I went through the process of believing it probably was for a long time. Mm. I felt very, very, fortunate that I was in this field and in this job and surrounded by health coaches. Um, I would have felt hugely isolated as a patient, um, fearful, not knowing what to do, waiting for treatment to happen instead of actively changing things that I was doing or addressing issues or working on my mindset, all the things that that a coaching approach and working with a coach can bring. Um, So as a from a patient's, as I'm now, if we're talking to oncologists from a patient, from your patient's perspective, it's, it it will empower them. It will empower them to feel that they can make a difference in their own health. It will empower them to believe there is hope that um, it will educate them about the importance of sleep, movement, nutrition, communication, relationships, purpose, meaning, what is it that I want my health for, you know? Um, From the oncologist's perspective, you now have a motivated patient, I would imagine, who is um, keen to um, work with the um, 
with the regime or the protocol that you're suggesting for them that feels that they've got um, um, they can do things for themselves they're not completely reliant on you so there's that sense of autonomy and self-efficacy uh, <clears throat> it will likely result as um, as we're seeing um, uh, that the patients your patients health outcomes generally uh, will improve through making differences in their lifestyle or changing factors in their lifestyle. Um, and there will be a huge, which I wish I had, um, if I had known about this question, I would have um, I would have researched it, but there will be a huge database on, on the improvements that can be made. I'm sure Penny has got that at her fingertips through uh, <laughs> lifestyle approaches to, um, yeah. to help health outcomes and for the system itself um, because I think health coaching transforms patients outcomes transforms healthcare practitioners practice and transforms health services delivery and in that respect you know we now have um, looking forward um, fewer people going uh, through the system with maybe fewer returns uh, to um, having to have consultations with their oncologist. Uh, so we're looking at taking pressure off the system itself. Um, so it's a win-win-win for me. Um, that would be my off, mm. off my head response. I love the multidimensional aspect that you've described. I mean, there's plenty of evidence out there, Robin, to, to say that coaching improves outcomes. And I can give you all the literature. Um, so that's number one, because clinicians want to know that whatever they, they, they practice or they refer to for another practice, it's evidence-based. So that's really important. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it's, it's about the individual patient, but it's also about the community because the patient can take that positive learning and impact back to their families. So other people can be influenced for positive behavior change. Yes. And we are talking about prevention. And this is the space where we need to be as clinicians nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about treating obviously the cancer, but also how can we prevent it? And how can we be proactive and what we need to do afterwards and how we empower people to think um, changing their lifestyle for prevention. And as Isabella said, that will have a wider impact in the whole population health. Mm -hmm. So we need to think like that as clinicians. Absolutely. And the, and the point you've just made about <clears throat> the, the learnings taken from by the patient into their family, that's my, not within cancer, but that's my direct experience as a, as a health coach that, you know, it's like the pebble in the ponds that once that, once that change is made, then um, it, it resonates throughout the whole family, you know, and, and you now have someone who is embodying the changes that they've made, embodying better health. And that's very encouraging to the rest of their family. Um, and also in terms of the, you know, when somebody gets a cancer diagnosis, um, it, and, and, and it's not just them that are, are affected, but actually it's, you know, two or three other people directly related to them in the family unit. So um, they are the ones that need to stay at work, you know, so when their loved one can't work um, or has to stop work because of treatment, you know, they need to stay in work. It's really important that anything that we can do to support that family unit 
in being healthier and staying healthier um, is really important, I think. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I think that uh, yeah, lifestyle measures are almost even more needed with carers than they are with the patients. It's uh, you know, a terrible area for lifestyles to go down the pan, basically, in service of the patient. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, um, really interesting chat. Thank you so much, Isabella. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I'm more power to your elbow. Uh, your mission, I'm right on it, uh, right behind you. And the sooner you achieve it, the better. So uh, thanks very much for telling us all about it today. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity of flying the flag. And, um, and uh, I, I always say you can't sell a secret, Robin. So we need to go out <laughs> and make a lot of noise about what we do and how well we do it and the benefit that we bring, you know, really to society, not just in the UK, but globally. And health coaching is a global movement. You know, it is global and it will be the transformational underpinning to how we see health. So thinking about doing health differently is very much our, um, you know, mm. our mission. I think I can see why you got that job as CEO. You're definitely the, the right person to shout about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Bye. Bye-bye, thanks. Thank you for listening to Cancer Talk. Do subscribe and look out for the next edition of our podcast. And if you have friends and colleagues interested in the development of UK cancer care, do pass on the details of Cancer Talk. Goodbye.